Many companies transform their business with a marginal impact on growth, while other companies transform their business for breakthrough results. One of these companies we built, so I had the pleasure to interview Gianluca Grondona, the Chief Human Resources Organization System Officer of WeBuild. And I interviewed on LinkedIn and repurposed this episode because we went so deep into how to transform an organization's how you actually improve decision-making in an organization that actually is big like crazy with 80,000 employees. We talk about that. We talk about people as a core of transformation, how to engage the younger generation. You know, how can you really innovate and what really you need to do in order to engage people in your journey. So have a, have a go, listen to this episode. I think it's great. I think you're going to like it. Most improbably, I think it's going to inspire you. Today with Gianluca Grondona, and I'll tell you about Gianluca in a second. So first of all, I would like to just say to everyone that uh, today uh, we are really so excited to talk with all of you to discuss about how transforming organizations, and especially you know, with the objective to grow and to essentially do something extraordinary for the future. And that's today. That's the reason why I invited today, as I said, Gianluca Grondona. And Gianluca is the Chief Human Resources and Organization System Officer of WeBuild, a global organization that is involved in complex projects around infrastructure, mobility, water, and green buildings. So before stepping into details, Gianluca, I would like just to say thank you so much for joining this live today. Thank you to you, Andrea. Good awesome. afternoon, everybody. So Gianluca, before stepping into the main topic, so transforming for growth, that is a, such an important title for this episode. Would you like to tell us in a couple of minutes a little bit more about you, what you do, and most importantly, what is your career experience, what you have done in the past? You have a, such an amazing international profile, so I'm sure that the audience will be very interested to hear more from you. Over to you. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much, Andrea. I started off my career in the Fiat Group. I worked there for a few time, dealing uh, with uh, some jobs in HR, uh, basically uh, in, uh, in a joint venture with the PSA Group, uh, and then uh, in the merger with uh, Chrysler. And then I moved to Indesit Company, uh, which uh, was the second uh, manufacturer in Europe for domestic appliances. So we were managing brands like uh, Indesit, uh, Hotpoint, uh, and Ariston. And I spent 13 years of my career in that fantastic company, uh, which uh, allowed a lot of uh, young people to grow very fast. Uh, Andrea Guerra was the CEO at the age of 35. And uh, many of us uh, had very important position at the age of 30. I was a director at the age of 32, and I became the chief, um, the chief HR officer at the age of 40. I worked uh, a lot in Russia, in Turkey, in Poland, in the UK for a long time, almost in all the countries of uh, Europe, thanks to Indesit. And then uh, when we sold uh, Indesit to Whirlpool in uh, 2014, I moved to what was called at the time Salini Impregilo, at the beginning of the merger between the two companies uh, with the, the role of Chief HR and Organization Officer. And then uh, throughout all this time in this company, we 
going to be nine years at the beginning of August. Uh, I added some um, direction to my responsibilities. And so today uh, I got HR organization, quality, health and safety environment, IT, digital innovation. And then uh, last year we launched this special program of optimization of all, all the direct costs of the company. We are talking about 1.4 uh, uh, billion euros of uh, indirect costs. And together with the chief HR officer, I share the responsibility of finding important savings in this area. So this is uh, what I am today. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, that's amazing. And I mean, I know you, I know, you know, what. Thank you. The, the, the exposure of, you know, of your role and what you're doing right now, you know, how critical it is actually for the entire organization. So but before stepping into WeBuild, because that's just a, such a very interesting story, especially in the latest, you know, months, et cetera, through acquisitions, how the organization is really growing in, you know, on the way of their globalization in terms of expansion, right? I'm curious about one question only about your leadership. So. You work as as myself, by the way, you know, in many different countries and different contexts, different organizations. What is maybe one big learning, you know, has a, a very true international global leader? Something that you probably, you know, bring in as a takeaway of your, you know, such interesting inter international experience. Because many people, they don't have the luxury, maybe the opportunity to have such a, a international exposure in their career. What is maybe one lesson for you? There are many, actually, Andrea, but uh, I, I would say the most important one is trust uh, on, uh, on people. So when I was 32, I remember an episode. I, I was recently appointed as a director, so I was coordinating a lot of people, and the task came on to my table, and I, I was, uh, I mean, it was a task I, I could do very easily, so it was my cup of tea, let's say. I started doing that and I said, no, no, I don't have to do it. From now on, I will never do anything by myself. I have to teach others to do things. And this is a mindset uh, I developed since I was 32. So actually now it has been <laughs> quite a long time. <laughs> uh, and I think trusting on people, you lose sometimes, but you win the vast majority of time. I might say that in, in my career, I have won 90% of the time uh, investing on other people to create my, my success, also my personal success in all the things I do, not only in my, on my job in uh, We Build the group, but also in many other things I do uh, personally in startups, uh, in uh, association and so on. Wow, that's actually is a big one. So is it just, uh, you know, we start with a big bomb, you know, how building trust and how actually trusting people. And we do yeah. know, all of us, how critical is trust actually right now in organizations in order then to mobilize people, to make sure people grow and develop and then actually take the reign of the organization. I'll come back maybe on trust because that's something very interesting for me to discuss with you. Um, so great. So tell us a little bit more about WeBuild. I mean, I know the organization being also Italian, so I'm aware. But for those people today, they are not necessarily know much about WeBuild. Would you mind to shed a light about what that you know what the organization does, and most importantly to me and hopefully for the audience as well, what's going to be the future of WeBuild? So why is it so important right now talking about WeBuild? 
Well, we build now is, uh, I mean, is a leading player in the construction of a large uh, and complex infrastructure projects in the fields of um, sustainable mobility, like metro, like rail, bridges, uh, and uh, roads, ports, and the hydropower, especially dams uh, and power plants, and uh, in the water, like water treatment, desalization, uh, green buildings, uh, civil industrial airports and so on so variegated uh, let's say uh, portfolio of infrastructures just to put you in the picture we have built up projects like panama the new panama canal uh, many metro projects like metro paris uh, copenhagen milan perth uh, or also the the stadium of doha when they played the final uh, of the championship, the world championship of football, and the, the, in Ethiopia we are building up the the great the the, the, the bigger uh, dam uh, in, of Africa and many others. I could uh, we 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 uh, we have also done the the movement of Abu Simbel uh, project in uh, in Egypt many years ago. So it has a, a very strong tradition, one hundred and thirty five years. But in the end. Uh, uh, we built um, started in 2012 when Salini, a uh, small company, bought with the proxy fighting action the first one in Italy in Pregilo, and so they merged the two companies. At that time, uh, the company was quite big, and this is the moment when I joined the company. They called me for the integration of the two companies. It was almost a no name in the in the business environment because it was a small company buying Impregilo, which was a name. And then uh, the story started uh, with the name of Salini Impregilo. Then in 2020, the rebranding uh, of um, we, we Build Group. Because in the meantime, uh, we made uh, a lot of other uh, acquisitions in the US, uh, Lane. Uh, Astaldi in Italy, some small companies special, uh, specialized in tunneling uh, and other kind of specialistic works. And then uh, last year, we also made the acquisition of CLAF uh, in Australia. So today, the company uh, gives uh, a job to 83,000 people, half of them direct and half of them indirect of more than wow. 100 nationalities, uh, and uh, we are operating in more than 50 countries in all the continents. And uh, the revenues are uh, above 8 billion uh, euros, and the backlog is uh, 53 billion uh, euros. So we, we uh, since I joined the company, uh, we have uh, grown the, the personnel of uh, 600%, or six times. Wow which is a lot in revenues of 250%. So amazing. Uh, and the plan is to, to keep growing. Yeah. Right. So, so that's amazing, by the way. So, you know, uh, this, I think to me is the scale of what you are working on is, is crazy. You know, you know, it's, and of course, you know, when you work in a, a large infrastructure project, clearly you deploy a lot of resources. So you have as well, big teams, so the big investments. So it's understandable how scaling through essentially the projects that you need to run or you need to essentially carry out, which is which is understandable. Now, back to my question, what do you think is going to be the future of WeBuild? I mean, what's going to make WeBuild, in other words, such an important company for the futures? You know, 
what you are aspiring for? Because I'm so intrigued to understand from leaders the aspiration for the organization. Because many organizations, they don't have huge aspiration, right? They want to grow incrementally, in, you know, in a safe way, in a healthy way. But that's it, right? Which is fine. I mean, it's not a judgment. It's just try to understand what's the aspiration that you have for we build so everyone can get inspired by your journey yeah sure that's a good question and uh, i was thinking over that and basically we have already started our aspiration because our aspiration comes from the fact that we had and we will have to transform this industry and this company because this was a really difficult is still a very risky industry Mm. You, you, you will see a lot of companies uh, going into bankruptcy, unfortunately, because of the contracts, because of the complexity, because of many risks uh, embedded in uh, this business. Uh, the company typically uh, were not uh, uh, multinational, centralized company as we are used to see multinational companies. So very decentralized, considering that uh, uh, every time you start a project, let's take the example of Panama Canal. Panama Canal is a huge project. We are talking about more than $6 billion uh, project. And you start up uh, a new company and uh, you make alliances with your competitors, with subcontractors, with the client, and uh, you open an ad hoc company doing a job, employing uh, at the peak uh, 20,000 people in a quite a complex environment. And then, so in the past, all these companies were very autonomous and also taking risks, especially. And this is why, uh, in many cases, uh, all this risk uh, had burst all of a sudden, and then uh, the companies uh, went into bankruptcy and so on. I mean, we have grown also buying company in voluntary procedures. So this is why uh, we are trying to completely change all of this by centralizing a lot of the risk management, by de-risking our future. So moving into countries where the risk is lowest, we have a very strong and disciplinated risk management approach. We took uh, this from uh, the banking uh, risk management system. We have a, a matrix organization we have started up, which is quite normal for the people working in other sector. But in here, it was not at all because mm. the project directors and the CEOs of these companies were used to take all the decisions alone. And now all the decisions are centralized just to manage the risk. So this is a very, it was a very big uh, uh, game changer in our industry. Mm. And we understood that by growing, you can centralize the know-how, you can have the competencies of managing the risk better and better, and then you also have the strength to face some difficulties which come along the way. Right. So where we want to go tomorrow, we will keep growing. Our industrial plan we have just recently presented will move us to above 10 billion revenues. And uh, we have to work a lot uh, in increasing the profitability, the cash generation as all, our, all the companies. But we also have a social aim because, I mean, uh, all our products uh, are uh, uh, sustainable products. So we are uh, also helping in the 
in the, the climate change process. Uh, so this is something we are really proud of. And you answered already a question from Vincenzo Salerno here in the audience that he was actually asking about sustainability. So yeah, you, yeah. you read his mind. So do you think new professional figures specializing in the circular economy or sustainable mobility will be able to approach the world of construction? This sounds like sustainability has a big role in the future Absolutely. of Waybill, right? It's in our product. It's uh, in our business because uh, when uh, you run a project like our project, even in Ethiopia, for instance, there is the founding, for instance, of World Bank, uh, mm. and they make a due diligence of your uh, practice, your organization, your sustainability. We have launched a sustainable bond uh, recently. We are working a lot in the diversity and inclusion. As you can figure out, we have more than 100 nationalities. Uh, if you see our Doha camp, uh, for instance, uh, there are uh, the part for the Muslims, the part for the Christians, and so on. Uh, it happens very often to us that we have to, to put together a lot of nationalities and uh, behaviors. And uh, we have also worked a lot to improve the safety of our workforce, which was not uh, typically a focus of this sector 10 years ago. Now we got indexes which are very similar to the manufacturing industry where it's easier to manage all of these things because you have all the people in the same environment. I know very well, I, I had been working for those, that industry for a long time. And now by investing a lot on that, we, we have really, really good indexes. And also in terms of environment, scope one, scope two, scope three, we are working a lot. We have decreased uh, 400% our emission in the last three years. So this is a, a something very very important for us. Excellent, and I, and I'm glad actually that you used you know that you you just said uh, and used the word safety because I strongly believe safety is should be a top priority for each organizations these days. Yes, so I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And special construction for you know all the incident we heard in the past. By the way, in any industry, honestly, but I'm really glad that too that, that I heard that. And by the way, guys, there in the audience, so feel free to ask questions to me, Gianluca, or comment you know, what you're listening and maybe you have some different ideas and thoughts because we'll be definitely reading and uh, engaging with your either comments or questions. So, Gianluca, so the main topic of this conversation is now we're talking about transformation, right? So it is a, it's a sort of word that has different meanings that have been probably overused by many and, and you know, Sometimes it became a little bit fluffy, right? So with the meaning that it's a little bit unclear because everyone is on version about transformation, right? So what is the transformation that is happening right now we build and why is it important for growing? I'm particularly interested, of course, to the transformation that involves people. So I'm not I'm less interested, of course, based on what we do about you know the technical elements of transformation. But anyway, that you know it, it's fair to say that they are there too. But how people, in other words, what what the you know what the the role that people are playing as well in the transformation that you are actually experiencing right now? Well, it's fundamental uh, because uh, you know this was a, a very closed industry. When I joined this industry, the people all basically ninety nine percent of the people had always been working with uh, this industry, so it was a very closed one. It was a very people-based industry because, uh, I mean, uh, in comparison to other uh, line of business I have seen, uh, 
here uh, the, the people part uh, is really business. When you present an offer, for instance, the team you present, the organization structure of your company, all your processes, procedures, and so on, are uh, elements to win the tender. So many times as HR, I speak to customers, to clients, and also to partners to convince them about how good is the team that we are presenting, their experience, our processes, procedures, and so on. So you, you are part of the business. And it was odd, the fact that despite that, the human resources department, the organization, some other central function were really weak compared to other industries. Mm. So what we have done, we have hired people coming from other industries. We have invested a lot on uh, young people because uh, it was uh, a, an industry with a lack of succession planning, structured succession planning. So we understood, Mr. Salini at first understood that uh, he had to work for the future with the vision of 10 years time to guarantee the succession planning. And uh, we... Um, we created a completely different uh, uh, way of working in the organization. I can tell you an example, bidding. Bidding is a fundamental process uh, of this uh, line of business. Uh, we studied around uh, 100 billion euros of works every year. We submit uh, around 25 billion euros of, of offers to wow. win 10 billion every year, which is uh, what uh, will guarantee us to have revenues like the one we want to have in the plan. But 10 over do, 25 is not a bad conversion, by the way. So congrats. It's a, it's a very good. It's a very yes. good one, actually. Very, very good one. Wow. But, and, but it's not for granted. At the beginning, our win rate was 20%, 25%. How have we increased that? We have transformed our bidding process, which was done by a specialized department in the company alone, doing a lot of, of bids alone. And uh, we have mutated uh, the approach of the um, simultaneous engineering of car manufacturing. So all the functions are contributing to the preparation of the bid from day zero. So from the pre-qualification and so on. Obviously, there is a leader, like the platform leader in the in the simultaneous engineering, which is bidding department, commercial at the beginning, then bidding department, and then operation. And all the functions are studying the offer together at each single stage. We have gates of approval done by the top management. There is a committee when there is all the A-line of Mr. Salini, and Mr. Salini, in the end, is the, the final decision maker to submit or not submit. And so every time, every offer we study, it's a book. It's a book of prices, uh, expertise, uh, uh, organization, uh, quality, supply chain, and so on. And before the submission, so we study very carefully all the elements. For instance, HR should give the rates of the people. How much will you pay the people in uh, uh, Papua New Guinea, for instance? How many expats will send you there? How much are you going to pay? What kind of subcontractors will you find? What's the risk, uh, the counterpart risk of the subcontractors and so on? It's a very articulated process. But when we set it up, it's involving the full, the whole company. And when we submit an offer, we are all committed that this is going to be the offer. So everybody, if we want the offer, 
I'm committed that the number of people is this one, the pricing of the people is that one, the subcontractors, all the departments are responsible. By the way, that's massive what you just said, Gianluca, because I'm just imagining, you know, 10, you know, I don't know, the, the, the scale of a billion dollar offer where you in advance, you need to quote something like this that includes huge number of team, people we know maybe necessarily clarity or, you know, in terms of, to some extent, in terms of how long would it take, how many people you need, how many hours and so forth. But you committed to stay consistent with what you quote and what you have done in order to make sure that you deliver consistently, you know, without changing sure. too much, right? Too much the original plan, which is something that normally happens, right? In construction, going back to revising offer and changing plan, and then there is an impact on schedule, is impact on delivery. It sounds like you nail it. You have you have, you you really found a way to put the people really into into the mix here. Yeah. Moreover, uh, I mean, uh, you also have to negotiate all these things with your partners because once uh, is a Vancy French uh, competitor, another time is a local company, yes. another time uh, is a company bigger than you, and they have to accept your procedures, they have to accept your strategy in pricing uh, and uh, your uh, engineering ideas of the project. Uh, then you have to convince the client, obviously. And uh, no, it's a very complex one, uh, to be really honest. And by the way, so, and, and we have a few other questions. Are, by the way, there is a great question from Colin. I'll come back to the question, Colin, because I don't want to miss it about change. Um, here's one question, Gianluca. R right now, we have, I mean, you mentioned before, you know, that you really invested on a younger generation, which is great, which I think yeah. is the key. But then you operate, still operate in an industry where, you know, it's required experience, right? Expertise yeah. on doing things. How can you balance, you know, being consistent in terms of quality, in terms of promise and commitment that you have with maybe a new generation coming in that want to be part of that, of the new future, but they don't necessarily have the skills. What do you have in place in order to support a young generation to thrive in an environment which is normally considered resistant, old style, old fashion style. What, what's, you know, what's the, yeah. the secret there? Yeah, this is a really a pivotal uh, point <laughs> because uh, uh, when uh, there are tenders where uh, the, um, the CV of the people you can present uh, are really predetermined by the client. So for instance, uh, I can mention you an example, Snowy Hydro, which is an hydroelectric uh, a project uh, in uh, between Canberra and Sydney and uh, they are the the project director must have uh, 20 more than 20 years of experience oh. as a project directors in tunneling projects because it's a tunneling project uh, technically speaking and uh, in all our group we had the three people with that profile and obviously we had to appoint one of those people you know I think all over the world, maximum 10, 15 people had this kind of uh, profile. So what we are doing, we are trying on the one end to convince the clients that uh, they have to invest uh, on uh, different kind of people. They cannot just predetermine uh, the CVs in this way because uh, those kind of people, then they are people quite reluctant to innovation. 
no? Because they have been working in the same way for a long time. Yeah. And on the other end, we are we are investing a lot in universities. We have many agreements all around the world, and we are launching a lot of fast track programs uh, to develop uh, uh, our uh, our early careers, uh, early career people, uh, faster than possible. And I suppose the key is really the knowledge transfer, right? So the ability to transfer the knowledge from you know, the older Absolutely. generation to the younger Absolutely. generation. The fact of having centralized uh, a lot uh, the mm. decisions uh, and uh, of implementing a knowledge management system uh, with the digitalization, now it allows you to, to do it uh, in a more efficient uh, uh, way. Um, this allows us to, to have the know-how really embedded in their quarter of the company. If you see our company, out of 80,000 and 83,000 people, uh, uh, there are 2,000 people really in the, in the core of mm. all of this. Yeah. And these 2,000 people must have uh, all the know-how of the company. Then of the rest, uh, it's important for sure, but it's more tactical because sometimes, for instance, last year we hired 12,000 um, 12, people, but we also had to downsize other projects because when a project uh, is over, then you downsize the project. So it's a continuous uh, opening closing opening growing decreasing growing decreasing all around the world so the workforce planning that we have is uh, really sophisticated but then uh, you have this uh, inner team really having the know-how to face all the situations around the world not to start from scratch every single time yeah makes sense absolutely so um i have one question that i would like to take from uh colin because uh, we just mentioned about old-fashioned yeah, etc so, and colin made an absolutely great question say look how is possible to bring innovation into an environment that is you know quite you know notorious for resistance to change that applies to construction but it applies to many other industries What's your yeah. take? Because one of your area of remit is also innovation and solution yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. What is the key? I, that I you tell can you. Share? I yeah. tell you my view is right. Uh, because call is right because I mean this had been the second least innovative sector in the last fifty years. So there is a McKinsey study, also BCG, stating that, and this will be the second most impacted by new technologies in the next ten years. Wow. So we have to make a change. We have to make a change. Otherwise, if we keep thinking with the, the eyes of the past, uh, we will not make this change. So when uh, I was appointed to do this responsibility, first of all, uh, I, I have refused to call this innovation director, direction because I think there are two approaches. The approach, I call it uh, like a temple, when you hire the 100 engineers and you hope uh, to develop your innovation and the approach uh, that I call uh, with the, the tennis shoes. So very lean uh, with an open innovation approach going around in the world and uh, grab uh, all the ideas and all the innovation and put inside the company where uh, the actors must be the different functions because I have already experienced uh, in my previous companies when is innovation function developing the innovation then rarely they have the buy-in of the business leaders of the r d department so i want them to be responsible for the beginning engaged 
So we are facilitating uh, their contact with the ecosystem, as they call it today, but the, the, the person of engineering, the person of uh, procurement, uh, our colleague of, of uh, quality, they must be the fundamental actors of the innovation. So a very lean way to make the innovation uh, easy um, without investing too much in the central organization, but investing in creating the net to grab the innovation inside. When, uh, I mean, I was appointed uh, in the quality, health and safety, yeah, then IT, then uh, innovation, it seems to be like a jigsaw of very different uh, functions. But in the end, they are all functions related to the transformation. And having the leverage of the organization and the human resources, uh, it's really useful to make uh, things change. Because when I go around and I preach, that we have to change on the innovation, uh, being the HR director of the group, uh, I mean, the people are following uh, what, uh, what I say usually. And then I got the leverage of training, the organization, I can change the procedures, I can change the people, I can develop the people. So I got many leverage to support the changes. So in the end, all the, the functions which need a change are under this umbrella, and this is why I also in the title, I propose transformation because this is the, the fil rouge of, of my work. Understand. Well, that's great. Great, great observation. So I like that. And another question, you, you, you just touched on centralization. So there is a question from Gianluca Dardato. Thank you, Gianluca, by the way, to, to explain Ciao, better Gianluca. the question. Yeah. <laughs> you know each other so maybe you know where, where you know why this is coming from where it's coming from uh, essentially is asking to everyone here in the audience how long does it take to centralize the decision making process corporate and by the way it, you know joining Gianluca's question and he's referring to the existing partners to the existing people not necessarily centralizing when there are new partners coming in that's my understanding from his question but to me related to this is for, for many years, Luca, we have seen organizations to localize, right? To localize and building structure in local markets to address easier and better the local, the specific, right? The specificity of the market. Now that actually there is a trend to some extent, and maybe we build is a proof of that, of organizations that are centralizing again. So are we going to see centralization, decentralization as a continuous you know, ever never ending process due to market constraint, due to the market situation. What's your view about so two questions really in one? How long did it take? And what's your view about the future centralization versus decentralization? Why matter and what is important? It depends a lot on the business model, I would right. say. In our case, consider that more than 90% of our workforce is local. If you take out uh, Saudi Arabia, where 10% uh, of the local people are working in Saudi Arabia, so you have to import 90% from India, Pakistan, and other countries. So in the end, uh, our workforce is very local. The know-how is what we want to centralize, the famous inner right. circle I was mentioning right. uh, before. Because when you face, uh, for instance, uh, the excavation in snowy project, uh, the tunneling project, and there is asbestos in the ground, uh, we know that we had experience uh, in managing uh, excavation uh, in uh, as rocks with asbestos in Genoa, for instance, 
So it's very easy for us to say, okay, this is our expertise, this is what we have learned. And so we immediately transfer the know-how to the local organization or, and to the client as well, which is a plus, by the way. We won the project in Australia, I'm mentioning, because we have done a very complex tunneling project in Lake Mead, Las Vegas. And so... So it's capturing the lessons essentially from the local project as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is what the the clients want. Mm. Because they said, I want you to employ a lot of local people because obviously there is a political also impact uh, on the things we do. And the, the vast majority of our projects are publicly funded, private and public now. It's PPP is the, the new form, but uh, there is a lot of uh, political interest. On the other end, uh, being an international player, multinational global player, they want uh, our know-how coming from the experience worldwide. So to answer to the question of Gianluca, and I say a lot to Gianluca, who is a friend, um, it took uh, not too much time, thanks to the fact that there was a strong commitment of the CEO and the top management. Because at the very beginning, having an organization of monads, autonomous monads, and uh, uh, can you imagine when I said, no, now you cannot give a salary increase without my approval. Now you cannot uh, buy anything without the global supply chain management of the, of the negotiation uh, with uh, the suppliers. At the very beginning, it was like a riot. It was, uh, everybody was saying, no, I will never work. Uh, I will uh, give resignation and so on. But uh, Mr. Stalini and all the top management took the, the direction very clearly. So after, uh, I would say, one year, it was clear, clear. Then uh, we had obviously to fine tune a lot of procedures and so on to build up the, the bidding process. I mentioned uh, we took three years, but uh, in the end they understood and also with the power of attorneys, <laughs> obviously you can, you can change this, but with the commitment, uh, you can do it quite fast. That's awesome. Great answer. And by the way, I also I want to appreciate a few other comments that we received, uh, you know, very inspiring, educate, educative discussion. Thank you, Abdul. I saw your question, Andrina. I don't think it's, though, it's, it's probably the right, um, it's not probably appropriate for the conversation. It's a good question, but I think it goes beyond the conversation. So maybe we can address separately. Um, Gianluca, I would like to ask you now a little bit more question about you as a leader based on your journey. So one thing that, really struck me and by the way uh i know people that work with you i confirmed exactly the same story so the fact that you have really as uh, as a, your own personal aspiration is really really helping people to grow developing so you are you have put essentially your own people on the top of your agenda and again i know that is not a cliche that's exactly what you do and what you really stand for so why is so important? I mean, the why is it? I mean, it's clear that we want to develop our people, but it sounds like you are so passionate about having your people succeed, no matter if maybe if one day they want to leave, you know, and go somewhere else. You know, why is so important? Why many other leaders they don't see that they don't see people development as a basis? So why are we still talking about people development as if it's something, you know, that you know still needs to be explained? So. What's your view? What's your leadership approach? 
Well, I can tell you that one of the things I'm most proud of in my career, maybe the, the, the thing I am most proud of uh, is the fact that 11 of the people who has worked with me have become chief HR officer in, uh, in other companies. That's, that's 11 amazing. is a lot. And I think there is the 12 in the pipeline. So okay. uh, this explains everything. I mean, um, it's very clean. I mean, I, I couldn't uh, start uh, following IT. I know nothing about IT, nothing, okay? I'm not uh, technology addicted, uh, not, uh, but uh, I, can, I could take this new responsibility because first of all, in the HR and organization function, I had two very strong leaders who can manage things even without me, I might say even without me. I can give value-added strategy, the integration with the rest, but they are really autonomous and they have grown up a lot in the organization and they can cover the post very well. Secondly, you approach a new function. I created a vision in this case. I took a consultant, an independent consultancy company in the IT, and I created a five years plan where to move the IT and the digitalization of this company. Then I assessed the team versus the future needs of skills with them. And, and so I started changing the team to reinforce the team, working a lot on the people. And I still can say that I don't know a lot about IT. It has been two years that I managed the function. But we are on the right track. We, we, we are really changing the, the, the digital way of doing uh, our business. Uh, we are uh, covering all the new startups. Uh, we have a very solid plan and we follow the plan quite clearly and the people are growing. And this is the same approach I have done in quality, health and safety and environment. I'm doing in innovation. So everything is very much based on them. I got a steering committee with all these functions every week, now every two weeks, during COVID every week, now every two weeks. So they all know each other, what they are doing, what are the problems of the other functions. And, uh, and I, for instance, now in this week, I'm meeting all the, the early careers of the HR department because I want to meet all of them, know what they are doing, their inspiration, what they want to do in the future, how they are in the organization, so I dedicate a lot of my time uh, in this. I remember when I used to work in Fiat, uh, we were always forgetting HR in the salary actions, uh, in the training programs. And uh, they were laughing, saying, ah, you know, the shoemaker has uh, rotten shoes, broken shoes. I don't want to have broken shoes. I want to have the shoes uh, better than the others, the other functions, actually. Yeah, and I, you know, at the end of the day, I strongly believe that, especially the HR function is is really a role model for the entire organization. So, Absolutely. so the the excellence and the best in class must be there. So there's no point. There's no way to lower even for for a millimeter actually the the level of the quality of the outcome produced by HR. So I agree that. On the other end, maybe a great a good question to consider is. You know, you mentioned 80,000 people. Fair enough, you know, they're not all direct, also indirect. How can you keep 80,000 people engaged in, in, you know, in organization? So they are global. They are everywhere. They are working on projects. So the risk of working in silos, 
clearly is there because just you know the size is so huge. What is maybe one thing that you learn from your experience in terms of how we can engage more people? I mean, we all know the Gallup survey, you know, the level of engagement is still very low in organizations. And I believe, by the way, that we are getting actually even into you know, to a worse situation. So I'm not overly optimistic about engagement. But what's your view about engaging and keeping engagement? So, you know, in a way that 80,000 80, people can be still very much connected. We, we, we well, it's another uh, critical uh, point, absolutely. Uh, on the one hand, we are lucky because we are doing iconic uh, work like this. I got uh, behind me, which is the Genoa Bridge. And so the people are really proud. I mean, the people, uh, I remember when we ran the concert uh, in the inauguration of, the, of this project, there were people crying. They were part of the project. There are the 1,000 names of the people who, with their hands, uh, rebuild the, the project uh, of Genoa Bridge. For those people, the by the way, they, they don't yeah. know, you know, that bridge, unfortunately, it's famous yeah. because it collapsed and then was completely rebuilt in Genoa area. A lot so. of people died. We rebuilt it in uh, 15 months, uh, which is a record uh, uh, in all of that. So the people were really proud. So the fact that we are doing iconic uh, works uh, helps a lot. Uh, for the engagement of the people. On the other hand, another big change they have done, we have done uh, in this uh, industry, uh, thanks to the vision of Mr. Salini and uh, the, the general director in charge of that, uh, we have changed the way we communicate. It was mm -hmm. really closed this sector also in terms of communication. And now instead uh, we are working a lot in investing a lot in communication, internal and external communication and in the systems to put the people together and uh, collaboration. So on the one end, we are lucky. On the other end, uh, we are working a lot. Definitely. And there is a nice quote from Paolo. Society grows great when all men plant trees in all shade. They shall never sit. Love that. Great proverb. Thank you, Paolo, for sharing that. Sure. Gianluca, as a final question because i'm conscious about the time and by the way guys in the audience if you have the last question please feel free to share it now because we are close to the end of our conversation it was by the way it was fantastic so Gianluca, my last question is what maybe is one or two main lessons that you want to share with people in the audience today they want to transform the organization they really want to they understand the value but maybe they've seen obstacles internally maybe they've seen a little bit of resistance maybe they are too much concerned about even starting because they know you know what sort of consequence it might might be in terms of investment needed in terms of bringing people on board what's some maybe lessons that you want to share for those people say okay i need to start I want to start but either i'm a ceo i don't know how to do it or i'm working for a ceo and i need to convince him so what is your view well, I can tell you my, my practice because I got a scheme uh, for doing this. First of all, I listen a lot uh, internally and externally. I keep uh, being open uh, to external uh, inputs. Uh, also, for me, in my personal life, uh, I try to do very different things. Uh, I, I've got a couple of small startups I deal with. I'm a president of a sportive association. So I try to do different things and to have different inputs to have fresh ideas. 
new ideas. I then with all of that, uh, I create a vision, what's going to be the future on, on, uh, on this. And it's very important that you listen internally because they feel they are part of setting up your vision. Then you have to communicate your vision and you have to buy the consensus of the top management, but also of the base of the organization. And then you have to be sound in the implementation and controlling and letting the people go in the direction by free the potential of these people. Because the people, when they, they feel that they are engaged uh, for a target, for a vision, this is, in my opinion, the, 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 the major leverage of uh, engaging uh, the people. Yeah, I mean, the, the vision is an extraordinary opportunity, like the purpose to really motivate people to engage yeah. and to, to work together in something and creating, you know, as you said, a different future for themselves, not only for, for the company or the shareholders. I love that. And I also love how you describe how you engage really people into the process, not like one way communication, that's the vision, take it and you deliver. It's more about be part of the journey with us and be a contributor. And again, I can only imagine a, a thousand people organization, how difficult that could be, but the way how you are approaching sounds fantastic, sounds really great. Any last words, Gianluca, that you want to say to the audience today? Anything else you, that maybe I did not ask you that I should have asked is important for the audience to know about either you, we built, or the transformation. So maybe one single final advice if you have one. Well, I feel the privilege of being part of uh, this adventure. I'm very honest. Uh, I worked for fantastic companies. Fiat gave me the basics of my job and the interfunctional approach because I had a, a master in, uh, in the business administration, thanks to Fiat. Indes, it gave me the, the opportunity when I was very young to take risk uh, and to go really in many parts of the world and doing very complex things, uh, which allowed me to grow up very, very fast. And this company is giving me the, the opportunity to manage uh, really such a complexity and uh, doing uh, these iconic works uh, and making a story with this uh, transformation that uh, we are doing. And really, I, I, I have never fed up uh, any, any day of my life working in those three companies. And this is, uh, I think I'm very lucky. I'm, yeah. I, it's like not working in the end. <laughs> That's amazing. And I can hear, I can definitely feel you know, the passion in your words. Gianluca, thank you so much for the conversation today. Thank you, Andrea. Feel free to connect with Gianluca. I'm sure that Gianluca is open to you. Feel free to connect with me if we're not yet connected. And let's keep sparking conversation about transformation by always putting people at the core of that. Thank you so much for today. Have a great rest of the evening.